0: text for this morning's message will be in the book of Philippians, so if you could turn there, please. In any Baptist church that has stayed true to what the Word says, you might hear some different songs, you might hear different styles, though I'm pretty sure you'll probably hear a lot of the same ones. Uh, you might have different speakers, but the message is going to be the same. It's going to focus around the same person. We sing a song called, Tell Me the Old, Old Story, right? Or I I Love to Tell the Story. We, We have songs like that that speak of the same thing that we say week after week after week. But it's something that never grows old. It's something that never loses its power in our hearts. And its focus is all about Jesus. See, we never get tired of talking about Jesus because He's that important. And so this morning, as we look to Philippians in chapter 2, we're going to have a message this morning titled, There's No One Like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 is where we'll pick it up. Paul writing here to the church at Philippi, and he's giving them some instruction on how to treat one another. But right in the middle of it, we have this beautiful, wonderful passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I'm sure you've studied it at times, but this has just been in my heart. Verse 5, Philippians 2, 5. It says, "'Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant.' Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that you've allowed us to gather around it. I pray that you would remove the distractions that might be in our minds and our hearts. Help us to set everything aside for these next few minutes, Lord, as we look to your word and consider your son. I pray that you would take these truths deep into our heart, Lord, and if there is conviction for sin needed, Lord, I pray that you would do that. If there's Those who do not know you as Savior, that you would open their eyes even this morning to the fact that they need a Savior and that can be found in Christ. If some of these truths have grown dull in our heart, Lord, I pray that you would revive us and draw us closer to you. Whatever the need is, Lord, you do the work that I cannot do and that only you can do. I pray that you do that just now and help me to be faithful to your word and the truth. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. So mankind has, has done and can do some pretty amazing things. The things that our mind can come up with, the things that our hands can make, even that what our mouths can say, we can do some pretty amazing things. Look at the cars that we have built, the cars that we have designed. Um, I'm more partial to the 50s when it comes to car designs and the beautiful designs that were made, but you cannot... Um, un, um, underappreciate the electric cars of today or the things that we're able to do. It's, it's pretty amazing that man has designed and built these things. We've built rockets that go into outer space. We design those, we test those, and we've built those things. It's pretty amazing, actually. Had to be pretty brave, actually, to, to sit in one of those things and strap yourself to a huge bomb and let it shoot you out into the to the atmosphere, but we've built those things and people have pioneered those, those kind of things. We've made great advances in the medical industry. That a doctor can open somebody up and sew a new valve into somebody's heart is pretty amazing. That there is a surgeon who can open up your head and poke around in your brain and fix things, that's pretty amazing. We, we have done and can do some amazing things. Not to mention the leaders that have taken their place in history, I think, of Roosevelt during World War II. And not just him, but all of those who um, went over and fought for our freedom against Hitler and against the, the threat that was there. And that's, that's true for all ages. Men and women who have been brave and, and, and put their lives on the line and leaders who have made... Crucial choices. There's some pretty important things that we've done. We've got some pretty famous names. Trump, he's, like him or hate him, you're going to recognize the name. Or Kennedy, or Ford, or Newton, whether it's Isaac or Fig, take your pick. But pretty famous names, right? Because men have done some pretty famous or um, noteworthy things. Yeah, man can be important. Man, women, we can be amazing. And you could read a book about them. You could write a book about them. You could even learn things from them. They have these books of quotes or self-help books or whatever it is written by these, these men and women. And you can learn some things from them. I'm not taking anything away from that. But may I say this morning, no one compares to Jesus. No one. No accomplishment. No amount of thinking. There's no one like Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He blows our human minds in what He does and who He is. And we need to be captivated by Him. There's some people that could sit down and read a book on an interesting individual or a book of quotes and just be captivated by it. Listen, there may be some amazing things, and there may be some things that speak to your mind, but no one is like Jesus. And the book that He has given us captivates our minds in a way that none else can. Because it tells us about Him and who He is and what He's done for us. You know... We spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time, especially in sermons, trying to search the Scriptures for guidance. And how does it speak to the things that we deal with today? And there's a time for that. We need to know how to deal with life. But you know what? Every once in a while, we need to take a step back to the basics. We need to remember what this is all about. This has kind of been on my heart for a while. This morning, I simply want to talk about Jesus. Because it all starts and ends with Him. And everything we do in between is all about Him. And He truly is amazing. So why is He so amazing? Well, out of many places we could go in the Scripture, this has kind of been the one where my heart landed and we're going to be kind of hopping around the Bible a little bit more than normal this morning. But I want you to see some of these things in Scripture because... There truly is no one like Jesus. Why is He so amazing? Well, number one, He is God. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He is God in the flesh. And Paul here, as he writes to the church, tells them that. Look in verse 6. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the subject, as Paul is saying this here, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's a little out of... The way we speak today, it's a little confusing maybe to some, but basically what Paul is saying here, he's the same as God. He didn't need to um, claim anything. He already had it. He didn't need to take it. He already had it. He is God. You know, there's a lot of men who aspire to greatness. There's a lot of humans who aspire to be great and lift it up. And some are born into that, born with a silver spoon, I guess they used to say born with a silver spoon in the mouth or into a family that has power. Some work all their lives to get to the place. Jesus already had it eternally. He is the highest of the highest. He is the ancient of days. He is the Almighty. He is God. He already had the form, the very same essence as God. He didn't need to take it because He already had it. Jesus had this He is God from eternity. Now, the Bible's pretty clear about this, so let's look in a couple places. John chapter 1. You're familiar with this. You probably can quote it. Don't take it for granted that some of these might be familiar to us, that this might be a no-duh thing in your mind. Well, yeah, Jesus is God, of course. This is under attack, and it has been under attack for many years. Some say He was an angel. Some say He was a great man. Some say He ceased to be God when He became man. None of that is true. The Bible is clear. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That is speaking of Christ. What beginning is He talking about? The beginning of time. The same in the beginning as Genesis 1. -1. Before time ever started, before anything was, this Word existed. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about the eternality of this Word. This Word has always existed in the same presence with God. In fact, He is God and His Creator. Well, who is that Word? Verse 14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. This is talking about Christ. Christ has always existed, always was with God, but yet there came a point in time where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and to see Him was to see the glory of the Father in human form. Hebrews chapter 1, go there. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1 and verse 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son whom He hath appointed heir of all things by whom also He made the worlds. Verse 3, Who, speaking of the Son, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. You see, To see Jesus is to see God. Jesus is the express image, the pressed out image of God. It is how we see and how we relate to God the Father through Christ the Son. God has spoken to Him by us and He is the image of His person. Not just a good man, not just a great prophet, but God in the flesh. That's why He could do the things that He did. Nobody else did the things that Jesus could do. Nobody else could speak with such authority that the demons instantly obeyed. Nobody could speak to a blind man and have new eyes created in his very head at that moment. Or new eardrums as he would speak to the deaf and the deaf would hear. Nobody else could do that. Only Christ could do that because he is God. God in a body. Jesus Himself prays in John 17. He says to the Father, glorify Me with the glory which I had with Thee before the world began. You don't don't say that unless it's true. God is very clear in the Old Testament. He says, My glory I will not give to another. But yet here Jesus says, glorify Me again with that same glory. He can say that because He is God. In John chapter 8, what does he say? Before Abraham was, I am. You don't say that unless you're God. You don't say that unless you have existed forever as He has, as the eternal Word. The more you think about that, that Jesus is God, Jesus is Creator. Colossians says He is sustainer of all things. By Him all things consist. The more you think about that, the more amazing he becomes. He is God who has done all of that. Who has said all that he said, all the works that he did. He's amazing. He's amazing because he is God. Now go back to Philippians. And that's, that's like the banner that you need to keep over everything you read about Jesus. He's God. Everything that he does, everything that happens to him. Jesus is God. Okay? Not only is he God, but I want you to notice what Paul says next. Jesus is amazing because he's God, and Jesus is amazing because he humbled himself. Look in verse 7, Philippians 2 and 7 who being, back in 6, says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Paul states it no less than three times that this is something Christ did willingly. He made himself, he took upon himself, he humbled himself. Now, we can't see it in the English language. Some of you might know it if you've studied Greek. But those two words in the authorized version, at least, it says made himself is one word in the Greek. Kenosis. And scholars call this, this phrase the great kenosis. You know what it means when it says it made himself? He emptied himself. He emptied himself. He emptied himself to know reputation you know god in coming here god the son in coming here to this earth to be born of a virgin and to walk as a man like us he set aside some of his privileges of deity do you know the angels forever have worshipped him saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty we sang a song based off of that scripture Forever and ever in the very presence of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, these angels have worshipped Him. Yet at His birth, who worships Him? Some lowly servants and a couple of eastern wise men. Other than that, the world stayed silent. Is He not deserving of all praise? But yet He sets some of this aside. He empties Himself... And makes himself of no reputation. No blasphemy meant. But Jesus was a nobody from a nobody town. He wasn't born the king in the capital of the world. He was born the king of kings and lord of lords from the line of David. But he was born in Nazareth with nobody to recognize that. You know, if anybody in the world could have ever said, don't you know who I am? (laughs) You ever heard people say that? Don't you know who I am? Or don't you know who I work for? If anybody in the world could have ever said that, it would have been Jesus. But he didn't say that, did he? Don't you know who I am? I'm God. He stated it clearly a couple times, but... For the most part, He humbled Himself. says He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He took upon Himself a body just like us. God was born. Do you know how humiliating that would be for God? To go through all that process and then to grow, to learn how to walk, to learn how to speak. God humbled Himself. He emptied Himself. Christ emptied Himself to come down to that level, our level. He made Himself of no reputation took upon Himself these forms. He had a body just like us. He had temptations just like us. And He humbled Himself. God, who is the highest, humbled Himself to the lowest, lowest to be just like us. Looking over in Hebrews chapter 2. I don't think we can quite understand that, how humiliating that would be for Christ and how low He put Himself. But I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood means we have a body, we have flesh, we have blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are also tempted. He lowered himself, humbled himself to a body like ours so that he lived the full human experience yet without sin and is able to to know exactly what we go through. You know, it also says in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with our feelings, but he was in all points tempted because he humbled himself to come down this far and live as us. In Matthew chapter 20, he says the Son of Man didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. So not only did He humble Himself to come down and be made like us, but He was humble in that. I want you to look at uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 17. So Christ, Jesus, is God, who humbled Himself, emptied Himself, came and was found... As a fashion, as a, in the same fashion as us, the same body, the same struggles that we face. He lived it, he lived through it, faced it. And while he was here, he was humble. And I want you to see Luke chapter 4 and verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is an Old Testament passage he's reading about this one who would come and bring deliverance and peace and joy and all of that. And I love the way it paints this picture for us. Verse 20. He closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. And all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto him, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. You know what he says? That's me. I'm the one. I'm the one who's going to fulfill all of this. I'm gonna, I am the one who is anointed By the Lord, I am the one who will preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted and to to bring deliverance and all that that passage says. He says, it's me. And you know what? He did exactly that. There's nobody that could do like I said, there's nobody that could do what Jesus did. In three and a half years. Virtually all disease was eradicated wherever Jesus was. All of the sicknesses, all of the demon possessions, all of the blindness and the deafness, all of that was gone. No one else could do that. And he didn't have to do it, did he? But he did. In his humble, gentle, loving way, he fulfilled exactly what he read in that synagogue. He brought the gospel to the poor. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the brokenhearted. So many times the scripture says he looks out on all of these masses of people that were following him he says he has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he goes to them and he heals them or he speaks to them or he picks them up. The ministry of Christ is a ministry of love. It's a ministry of humility. It's a ministry of gentleness and peace. All the time, it is God who has humbled Himself to come to us. You know, He was humble even when He was treated badly. The Pharisees hated Him, didn't they? And all the time, Jesus is there preaching, and they're, they're right there trying to contradict Him. Or they're questioning Him and making accusations. So sad. Each time Jesus responds in a gentle manner. There's a couple times He snaps. Once in the temple. (laughs) He gets a whip and He's... Twice in the temple actually He did that. He gets a whip and He's throwing over tables and telling Him, Get out of my house. Which He had full right to do. And then there's another time towards the end of His ministry when... He tells the Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites. I'm right here and you won't believe in me. But for the most part, he's gentle, isn't he? Gentle in his return, even when they make accusations and they call him names. In Matthew chapter 12, it says this. The Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. This gentleman who healed diseases, who, who caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak and who brought peace and joy to all that were around him. You know what the Pharisees want to do? They want to kill him. Let's get together and see how we can kill this guy. Because you know what? He calls us out. He says that we're doing wrong. You know what? This is messing up our system. We need to kill him. What happens? When Jesus knew it, He withdrew Himself from there and great multitudes followed Him and He healed them all. (laughs) And He charged them that they should not make Him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold My servant whom I have chosen, My beloved, in whom My soul is well pleased. I will put My spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Listen. He shall not strive nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he shall not break. A smoking flax. That's like the wick of a candle that's smoking. He shall not quench. He's going to be gentle. And Jesus was exactly that. Do you know how many times he could have called out the Pharisees? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who you're speaking to? But He didn't, did He? Because He was humble. God, with us, allowed Himself to be ridiculed and questioned, all the while being gentle and loving. Which the more you read of it, the more you think about it, you have to ask the question, why? Why would He do this? Jesus is God. He doesn't deserve to be treated that way. You know how he should have been treated like he was treated on that Palm Sunday when people were laying those down as he walked his donkey over it and the whole mass of people were shouting at top of their lungs, Hosanna! Praise God in the highest! That's how Jesus deserved to be treated. But most of the time it wasn't that way, was it? Why would he do this? Why would he allow himself to be treated that way? Well, back to Philippians you see, He came here for a reason. He emptied Himself and took upon a fleshly body and was just like us. It was for a reason. And though He was so gentle and loving, He, he allowed Himself to be treated this way for a reason. Look in verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not only is Jesus amazing because he is God, not only is he amazing because he humbled himself and lived a humble, gentle, loving life, but Jesus is amazing because he was obedient That's what it says right there, right? He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Well, What's that mean? Well, first, it means He was perfect. Jesus was perfectly obedient to all the requirements of God. You see, He never sinned, ever. Never sinned. He never had one of those bad thoughts. He never slipped and said a curse word or a lie. or He never did the wrong thing. Even when He was an infant. You know how many times they cry? Oh, I'm so glad I'm past that stage. God bless those who are having kids. Because they're, they cry. They cry sometimes for no reason, right? You're fed. You're changed. I just held you for an hour. You're fine. But yet they still cry. It was never like that with Jesus. He was perfect. Perfect from His birth till the day of His death. He lived perfectly. Isaiah chapter 53 says, There's no sin found in Him. No deceit in His mouth. No guile in His heart. And Jesus Himself says, I I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And He did exactly that. Jesus was obedient in every way where we fail. In fact, where we fail, He didn't fail. It says He was obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Well, if you remember that verse I quoted from Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. In fact, you know what? Let's turn there. I want you to see what it says in the last phrase. Jesus is God with us. God who humbled Himself and lived a perfect life. But I want you to see in Matthew 20 28 what it says here. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto... But to minister, and what does it say? And to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life as the ransom for many. See, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was perfectly obedient. Every way we fail, he did not fail. And he says he gives that life as a ransom for many. He was obedient not only to God's standards but he was obedient to God's will for our salvation. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 3. Says this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What is the will of God? It is that all men will be saved. That's a good Bible word. I love that word, saved, because it talks about deliverance that comes from Him. It means to be ransomed. It means to be redeemed. And God wants all men to be saved. All of us. Not just male. He's talking about humanity. God wants all humanity to be saved. And if He wants all men to be saved, then that must mean all men need to be saved, right? There's a need that we have. The Bible is clear. It's clear from Genesis to Revelation. We have sinned. Jesus was perfectly obedient. We are not. Every child disobeys their parents. Every teenager does or says things they shouldn't do. Every young adult, every grown adult, every old person does or says things that we shouldn't do at some point, don't we? That's sin. Those evil thoughts or those lies or those bad words or those bad actions that we know we shouldn't do, we still do it anyway. That's sin. That is not being obedient. That's breaking the law of God. Just take the simple one. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie, God says, and yet we do. Maybe we think it's a white lie. Or maybe it's a big old whopping whale of a lie. still a lie. We still bearing false witness. We serve ourselves when we should serve Him. We sin, and beloved, the wages of sin is what death. Death is the payment. Death is the due for sin. That's a result of sin of going against God's law. It's not just a physical death; it's eternal death. Eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. There's a lot of people that talk a lot of different things about hell. There's songs that call it a party place and people are on the highway to it. People think it's an absence of feeling or... Going out of existence. Let me tell you, the Scripture is clear. This is not a fun place. This is not a party. Nor is it a reunion. It's lonely. It's dark. It is void of the presence of God. And it is a place of torment that never ends. We get the account of the rich man crying out, Please, just give me a drop of water to cool my tongue. And the answer is no. No. And you know what? I am of a firm belief that rich man is still there, still crying out for the same thing. Please give me some relief, for I am tormented in this flame. It's not a fun place. It's a place of no comfort, of no release, of eternal damnation because of sin. Because of our sin. Romans, the third chapter, tells us that no one is righteous, no one is good, no one seeks after God, and the whole world stands guilty before God, and all the mouths are stopped. There's nothing we can say because at some point we've sinned, and we've known it and we've done it. We can't cover it. We can't innately stop. How many times did your mom tell you as a kid... To stop something, yet you did it again, right? Well, if we could cover for our own sins, when somebody told you to stop, you'd stop. The problem is we're sinners. We have a sin nature and we keep doing that. Well, there is judgment for that, there is eternal death, there is eternal hell. But what I want you to know this morning is that God does not want that for you. What is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, for all men to be saved from that? He wants all men, all women, every man, woman, and child to be saved. To be delivered. And He has provided the way. You see, we can't get to God on our own. He's too holy. We're too sinful. But what does it say? There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. It is Christ who bridges the gap, who stands in between. It is Christ who has given His life his perfectly obedient life as the ransom for all the amazing wonderful gentle loving jesus gave his perfect life so that we can be saved look back in chapter 1 first timothy 1 look what it says in verse 15 this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul says he came to save sinners and I'm the worst. Verse 16, howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him. Believe on him for what? To life everlasting. Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm proof Jesus saves sinners. In fact, I'm the pattern for everybody. If He could save me, He can save anybody. And beloved, that is true. Jesus Christ's life pays for our sins. He is the ransom that pays it all. And He came here, He humbled Himself and came here in this flesh to save for you, to save you, to die for you. That's why He came, that's why He was obedient. To give His life for yours so that you would believe on Him to life everlasting. There's no place in Scripture, no place I can put it more simple than a conversation that takes place in John chapter 3. And I want you to look there. Please, if you would turn in your Bibles, John chapter 3. I want your eyes on this in your Bible. Because it's that important and it's that clear. I don't have time to walk through every word like I, I would want to, but... The truth here is so clear and so life-changing. I want you to see it. You know who this is? This is Nicodemus and Jesus. You know the, the circumstance behind it. It's at night. Nicodemus has probably heard some things, so he comes to Jesus under the cover of night. And the exchange that takes place is some of the most important words you could ever hear in your life. John 3 and 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to, him, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Yeah, Nicodemus was amazed with some of the things Jesus was doing. Man, you're pretty amazing. Nobody else can do these things. Listen, you can read the Scripture and you can be impressed with some of the things that Jesus does, the feeding of the 5,000, or the, the walking on the water. But beloved, it's not just merely being impressed with Him. There needs to be something more. There needs to be something more in your heart than simply agreeing with who Jesus is or knowing about Him. It needs to go deeper. You need to believe in Him. Jesus isn't messing around with Nicodemus. He gets right to the point, verse 3, Jesus answered to send to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people working their way to heaven, trying to pay their way into heaven, trying to pray their way in heaven. The only way we get to heaven, the only way we have an, any kind of an entrance into the kingdom of God, is being born again. Jesus says that here. You need to be born again. To enter the kingdom. If you want to go to heaven, you want to be part of that kingdom, you can't earn it, you can't do anything else. It must be a birth that comes from above. We must be born again. Look in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See, we all have a fleshly birth, don't we? We all have this birthday, right? The day that we entered into this world and life began. But you know that we were born into sin with a sinful nature. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have this sinful nature. What Christ is talking about is a spiritual birth. A moment not a process, but a moment in a time where we pass from death to life. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in sins, but He has made us alive. By grace you have been saved. There's a moment where we passed from being dead to being alive. That's what Christ is talking about here. You must be born again. Not fleshly, but spiritually born again. And until that happens, we have no place in heaven. We have no hope in heaven. Our eternity lies in hell. So I ask you this morning, have you been born again? Has the Spirit of God done a work in you that only He can do? He's talking about something internal. Something that is done by the Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. There's a, a moment that God does something in us. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We feel the effects of the wind, but we can't see it, right? Listen, when the Lord began to convict me of my lost condition when I was just a young boy, I felt it. I didn't know what day it was coming. I didn't know that on that Sunday, hey man, it's going to hit me like a ton of bricks. I was sitting there like any one of these other kids and all of a sudden, it hit me between the eyes, or rather in the heart. I was a sinner. I needed to be saved. If I died right now, I'm going to hell forever because I'm a sinner. And I'm under God's judgment. But at the same time that the Spirit showed me my sin and pressed that on my heart, it showed me the One who was crucified on the cross for my sins. This is work of the Spirit that He does in you. Maybe right now you're feeling that conviction. It's not a good feeling, no. There's fear and there's maybe a little bit of anger and worry, but that is meant to bring you to the point where we confess our sins and we bow before the Savior. See, this is something that happens spiritually. Spiritually. Nicodemus answered, how, how can these things be? How does that happen? How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we do know and testify what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not. How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man that ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus is saying, Listen, this is spiritual, this is heavenly, I'm telling you this straight from the source. Verse 14, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's belief. How are we saved? How does the Spirit cause us to be born again? It's believing in Jesus. It's placing our faith in Him. Oh, He was lifted up, wasn't He? He was lifted up on that cross. You know what happened at that cross? He was crucified for your sin gentle, loving, perfect Jesus, was betrayed by one of His own, sold out by one of His own. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. They blasphemed Him to His face. God, God who humbled Himself to come down here for a reason of being obedient in every way so that he could give his perfect life as the sacrifice of sins. You know what people did to him? They made fun of him. Hail, King of the Jews. To the face of God. They slapped him in the face. They spit in his face. They beat him. They whipped him. They hit him with a whip until his back was torn open and bleeding. They took His hands, they stretched Him out, and they drove nails through it. Nails through His feet. And they hung Him on the cross and left Him to hang there until He died. For six hours, He hung there. Suspended between heaven and earth. Yes, the Son of Man was lifted up. Not in praise, but in death. And you know what He was doing? Bearing the wrath of God for our sin and shedding His blood so that we might be saved. The mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. The one who was lifted up and hung on that cross as He gave His precious blood to take away your sins. You see, His perfect sinless blood was shed so that you... You, I want you to know that this morning, so that you can be forgiven of all of your sins. Think back to all that you've ever done, all that you've ever said, all those bad thoughts that we've had. We all do. We all stand as sinners. But that blood of Christ was shed for you so those can be cleansed away. So that you can be born again into a new creation with eternal life if you believe. If you place your faith and your trust in Him. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus went to that cross for you? That He hung there for you? Have you placed your faith in Him? Can you claim verse 16 as your own? (laughs) Don't ever, ever get tired of hearing that verse. let it be precious to you as the first day you heard it. For God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that your truth this morning? It's mine. I know that God sent His Son because He loved me. And I have believed in Him. I believe that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. I believe that He paid for my sin. I've asked forgiveness. And I believe His blood has cleansed me. And I am saved because of Him. That is my faith. Is that yours this morning? Have you believed in that way? Oh, I pray you have. I pray that there's been a point in your life that you have been convicted that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And have you seen and have you understood that Jesus died for you? And have you, have you asked Him to forgive you and trust that He paid for your sins? Have you asked Him to save you? Listen, I can't give you nor will I give you any specific words to pray. That's between you and God. And the Bible just talks about us placing our trust in Him. That's it. It's, it's something that happens within your own heart and it is something that's so simple we can complicate it well i don't know if i prayed the same way or i don't know if i i'm supposed to feel this way or what am i supposed to do you believe that's it it's what i said i'm saved i was saved march 19 1990 the young 8 year old boy grew up in church with a family who's been rooted in church for many years that didn't make a difference i had to come to the point that i knew i was a sinner And I believed in Him. I am saved because I believe Jesus died for me on that cross. Period. That's it. It's not because of baptism. It's not because of going to church. It's because I believe He died for me. That He took my place and I trust Him for salvation. That's what you need in your heart. By the way, I still trust Him for my salvation. I still believe in Him just as much as I did that day but it's at that point I bowed before Him and I asked Him to save me. Mine was a simple prayer. Lord, save me. You don't even have to say words in your prayer. It can be within your heart. Whatever the case is, have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, that He died for you? I pray that you have. You see, at that moment that I was saved, He forgave my sins and He gave me a new life. At that moment, I was born again. My dead spirit that was dead in sins and trespasses was made alive by Him. I was born again that day and now I have eternal life waiting for me in heaven. And that is true of any and everyone who trusts Christ as Savior. Have you been born again? It says, whosoever believes. Whosoever believes, that can be you. You can be saved today. And in just a moment, we're going to give you that chance. He can be your Savior. He wants to be your Savior if you would just believe in Him. All that to say, there is truly no one like Jesus. God who is Come down in the flesh to humble himself, to give his life so that me, a sinner, might be saved. Romans 5.8, God shows his love to us in that Christ Jesus died for sinners. There's nobody like him. Do you know him today? Have you trusted in him? One last point, I want you to turn back to Philippians and we'll be finished. Not only is Jesus amazing because He is God. He's amazing because He humbled Himself. He's amazing because He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. But Jesus is truly amazing because He is Lord and Savior. Philippians 2 and verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There is no other name that is higher than the name of Jesus. There is no other name by which we must be saved and no other name to which we must bow and confess as Lord of our lives. See, not only is He Savior, He is Lord. He is King. He is our Master. We serve Him. You see, He is very much alive and seated at the right hand of God, the victor over sin and death, and He calls us to follow Him. The church is the called out assembly, is it not? The ones who Follow the call of Jesus. and We are His body. And our Lord and Savior has called us to be baptized by His church, to join that church in proclaiming Him. Proclaiming His salvation and teaching and reaching others in the community. Teaching others what He taught and looking forward to the day that we'll be with Him again. There's nothing like that call either. That I am a sinner who is saved and now I get to be entrusted with His truth. Now I get the privilege of going, going and telling others about Him. We get the responsibility of seeing people saved and their lives changed. I get to live as a Christian like Him. Him working in me. Him living through me. So His amazingness can be seen in me. What a call. What a call. The question is, do we? (laughs) Have we bowed before Him? Not only as Savior, but as Lord of our life. And have we committed to serving Him? You know, some reject all of this. you got to know that. Some reject all of this. I don't need a Savior, I'm fine. I don't need this church stuff. Well, it seems to be a pretty big deal to him, doesn't it? It says he shed his blood for our sins. You know, it also says he shed his blood for his church. And there will come a day when all will bow and all will confess. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to confess. But then it will be too late to be saved when that happens. It will be too late to be in the right place. The time for salvation is right now. The time for yielding ourselves to Him as our Lord and Master is right now. And so what I'm simply doing is asking you to consider these things. There's no one like Christ. There's no one who even comes close. He's God who is our Savior and who is our Lord and our Master. And it's one thing to know it and and agree with it in our head, but has our heart been given to Him? Is our heart following Him? Is our heart filled and uh, uh, captivated by these things? There's nobody else like Christ. I want to tell everybody I know because there's nobody like Him. Nobody who can save like He does. Nobody who can guide and lead like He does. No one greater. Would you consider these things this morning? If you're not saved if you don't have that assurance that your eyes will close in death and you will open them in the presence of Christ because of His blood that has cleansed you in that moment you trusted in Him, if you're not saved, He can save you right now. If you're not following Him, you can start that today. Listen, even if we've been saved and we've been following Him for years, even if we've heard the old, old story a thousand times, it never grows old. In fact, you know what it helps to do for me? Every time I hear of how Jesus died for me and how much He loves me and the call that He has for me, it helps to refresh my heart. It helps to refocus my heart. God loves me so much. It's the least that I can do to follow Him. All that we do is because of Him and all in this life and for all of eternity, there is no one greater than Jesus. Even when we grow dull and we put other things before Him, and maybe we need to think of all that He's done and all that He's promised and get back to the place that we need to be. So in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And it's going to be a time for prayer. It's not something to try to get through the last verse and say, got out of that. It's a time for you to think of these things and come face to face with your relationship with God. And if the Spirit is moving on your heart and you are convicted about some of these things, don't let it pass. Don't ignore it. Maybe it's time to take care of that. There's no one like Him. He's worthy of all of our praise, Because He is God who humbled Himself to give His life to save us and to be our Lord and Savior for eternity. There's no one like Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask now that You would take these words. I pray they've been glorifying to You and to Your Son. Take these words to our hearts, Lord, as we move toward an invitation. If there's someone here who does not know You in sin, that You would convict them of their sin and their eternity and that they would turn to Christ and place their faith in Him before it's eternally too late. Lord, for those of us that know Jesus as Savior, Lord, that we would continually follow Him and follow His call to be in the right place and in the right mind and allow You to live and work through us, Lord. Help us wherever we need help, Lord. I pray that Your Spirit would move just now as only You can do. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.